We are so blessed to be here. And I've got to listen. I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pastor who does the work of an evangelist, but I'm not an evangelist. We just come out of a pastorate of over 18 and a half years, and we're between seasons of where God wants us to be next. And people are saying, so you're between churches. I don't know if I'm going to church or not. I don't know. But we're still serving God and loving people and loving God and leading people to Jesus Christ. And uh, we do that not as pastors. We do that as Christians. Can I get a witness out there today? And so we praise God. I want you to know my sympathy with you as you mourn the loss of a, a, what I understand to be a very precious individual. Your pastor speaks very highly. And, um, and thank God for the life change that God invested in her. And here's what I've learned. Here's what God spoke to my spirit. He said, you know, it's in times of grieving that I've given some of my greatest revelations to people because their heart has turned to me. And they've turned it to me for, for sympathy and they've turned it to me for healing and encouragement. He said, but in that moment, I'm able to bring words to them. Usually that is to honor the life that they are mourning. Isn't that powerful? I think it's some of the greatest revelations I've gotten. It's been sitting at a funeral home in a funeral and it was looking and reflecting over the person's life and what God had done that God poured and whispered into my spirit. And I left there celebrating two things, what God has done to that person and what that person's life has now revealed to me, praise God. And I believe today is a word that's going to do that very thing. So I'm blessed to be here. Let's get into the word. Luke chapter number 12. And I am so blessed to have my wife going on 29 years of marriage together. And uh, she is proof that God has favor upon my life. And so I am so blessed to have her. And uh, we, we spend every moment of every day together, not even before we stepped away from our past church, but we've always, she was my secretary and treasurer. And uh, so we work together all the time because we love each other just that much. And so when I do get on her nerves, those very rare occasions, very rare, she does kick me to the garage. And so that's where I hang out. So that's where my man cave is. And uh, so, you know, God favored me. I bought a 67 Camaro convertible to work on in my spare time. And so that has saved both of us, praise God. So it's been good. And yes, I just bragged about having a 67 Camaro. And I do have pictures of that and my children after service. If you want to come up, I'll share those with you. Amen. Luke 12, praise God. I feel the Spirit here in the house. Amen. Verse 35. I'm going to read a little bit to you, so stay with me, okay? Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the door, from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now here's the image I've got. Standing there looking out the window. Did you get it? Because they want to know the moment he arrives, they want to open the door at once. So when he talks about keep the lamp burning, stay alert, he's talking about a very high level of alertness. Do you, do you see that right there? He uses the phrase at once when he arrives, when he knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. And my Bible's got an exclamation mark there. So he's really making a point. Blessed. He said it with excitement. Blessed are those servants. Praise God. I want to be that servant. Amen. <clears throat> Blessed are but know this, that if the master of the house had, had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Well, we just changed gears. What, what happened there? So we've rolled right into another situation that he's trying to make the same point there. Had the master known uh, the, the hour that the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, us or for everybody? 
I think his feelings was hurt a little bit. Is this a special word for your chosen 12 or is this for all of us? That's what he was asking. And Jesus had an answer. He said, the Lord said, Who then is a faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces. That sounds pleasant. And put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. Did you see that? The one that knew the rules and broke the rules, he got a show enough beating. The one that didn't know the rules and broke them anyway, he got a little beating. Because <laughs> he should have known the rules. That's what we did. Well, you should have known better. <laughs> well, I didn't, Father. You'll know better next time, won't you? <laughs> that was a, hey, we were a spare the rod, spoil the child kind of household. He did not spare it, and I was not spoiled, I can assure you. So I'm not kidding, that's what he said to me. There you go. And so anyway, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and to him, from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Hmm. Father God, thank you for the anointing in this house. Thank you for the privilege, the honor of standing in this podium and preaching to this body of people here today, God. Father, thank you for this pastor, his family, and the ministry that's here, God. You honor them and you love them today. God, we praise you for their invitation to allow me to come and fulfill your desire for this hour for this church, God. And Father, it's not that you didn't give the word to this pastor, but God, sometimes that outside voice brings a fresh hearing. And God, I come today with a desire to throw fuel on a fire that is already burning. That Father, when we leave here, the kingdom of heaven is advanced because you have brought us as servants together, God. And Father, I praise you for this word. I pray that we not only hear it, but that we apply it to our lives to honor you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen and Amen. You know, We've been given much. To whom much is given. I, I've been given much. I, I can tell you from looking at this church body and following Pastor Mark's ministry and, and the church when it was at the other location over on the interstate and, and the campgrounds and, and, and watching what God's done here in this location and seeing the ministry and the, the, the lives are being changed. I can tell you as a body, would you agree, we as a body have been given much. <laughs> When we look at the amazing things God's done, not just in material stuff, which is beautiful, and look at what God's blessed us with, but not only that, but in our personal lives. Is, I love a pastor that every week says, what are you thankful for today? And that there's people that immediately respond and say, I'm thankful for this. Why? Because they've been given much. God has prospered them much and blessed them much. And God has provided from them much. And I can tell you as one who stands before you, I praise God. We have been given much as a family, as a couple, and through our lives of our kids. But I've been given much as an individual. I know what addictions are. I know what pain is. I know what depression is. I know what the misery that hell brings into our life is. And I praise God. I stand before you here today blessed and have been given much, praise God. 
We have been given much. And yet the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And who has been entrusted with much, we are demanded. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It's not, you know, if you got enough time, no, we'd love that. No, no, no. It demands us, not just as a church, but as individuals. You didn't see him. You notice he never answered the question. Is this for us, your chosen 12? Is this for all of us? He completely ignored the question. Why? Because at that moment, he didn't see them as you and you. He saw the kingdom of God. And he was speaking to every individual that was within the sound of his voice. He said, I use individuals in my illustration. Therefore, I'm talking to individuals with my message. Praise God. And I praise God for that, that he's there. Listen, the, the Bible says there is much required and much demanded of us as a church body and as individuals. The church uh, is all about the harvest. How many of you agree with that? The only reason we exist is to fulfill the harvest of the gift. Oh no, pastor, the church exists to take care of my needs. Oh, they're going to take care of your needs. The church exists to, to give me this. Oh, oh and they, I agree that's there. But that's not the foundational principle of why the church exists. The church exists for one reason and one reason only. That is to bring people into the house to train, develop, and send back out of the house uh, and go ye into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, not as a position held with a title, but as a Christian, a person that we have been given much through salvation and deliverance uh, and a freshness of life and hope and peace. Uh, and he says, as surely as I've given you this, I'm sending you forth to give it to others, praise God. And how many illustrations do we see in the Bible where he talks to them now, what you have been given freely, now go and freely give, praise God. The whole church is established for, for the harvest. You've got to understand that because if we're going to fulfill the desires of the master while he's away, the desire is to fulfill and reap the harvest. The only prayer request we ever see Jesus given is He looks upon the fields and He says, The fields are white unto harvest. Uh, please pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth more labors into the field. We are that answer to prayer as a church, as individuals, as Christians, as people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus who shed His blood for the harvest, praise God. I hate to disappoint you, but your salvation, my salvation was never about us. It was, it was to prepare us about all the others, praise God. I love that. Hallelujah. The gifts of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about preparing us to reap the harvest. The gifts of the Spirit are about equipping us to reap the harvest. And there is much harvest yet to be reaped. How do we stay committed to the harvest? How do we stay passionate for the harvest? Here's a word. How do we stay vigilant for the harvest? Hmm. I want to talk to you about a word today called vigilance. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil. Y'all know he exists, right? Don't have to fear him, but you better be aware of him. Because he's not just trying to get you, he's trying to get everybody. Let's finish scripture. You're, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Job gives us a little picture of what that looks like. As the Bible says, the devil was wandering to and fro one day and he came across God and he was meeting with the sons of God. I want to know who those people are. <laughs> and the Bible says, God said, hey, Dad, what are you doing? He said, I'm roaming to and fro trying to look for somebody to devour, somebody to destroy. And he threw him over on Job. Not because Job was lacking anything, but Job was worthy of God's admiration, respect, and braggadociousness. He says, have you considered my boy Job? Because my boy's got it together. And he said, yeah, whatever, you let me touch him. No, I promise you, I'll bring him down. He'll curse your name. And God's like, go for it, but just don't touch him. 
So he went and destroyed, took everything, every child, every possession, everything he had in a matter of hours was taken. The Bible says while he was getting the report from one servant, another one came up and Bad news, bad news, horrible news. Your children are dead. Oh my goodness, at least I got two more. Hey, I got bad news for you. Your children are dead and everything gone. Oh my goodness, at least I still got my one. Hey, hate to tell you, but when the devil comes in, he ain't playing. That's his desire. Listen to what he said. Did you hear the scripture? It says he comes in to seek, kill, and destroy. Ain't killing enough? No. He wants to destroy you. He doesn't want to leave any remnants of you. To destroy means to separate and dismantle. And that's what he wants to do with family. It wasn't enough to kill his children. He took everything he had. And then the devil's wondering one day, they're having another meeting. God says, hey, devil, what about my servant Job? He said, yeah, whatever. But if you let me touch him, I promise you, he'll curse you to your face. He said, well, go for it, but you can't kill him. Can I just tell you, there's some things that are worse than death. Next thing we know, he's got the sores and the boils all over his body. He's taking broken pottery and scraping the pus and the infection from his body. He's sitting in ashes, mourning and grieving what he's going through. His wife, she's a big support. Why don't you just go ahead and die? Thank you, honey. Appreciate it. Why don't you get back in the kitchen? Leave me alone. His friends were a big support. All right, go ahead and tell us, you buddies, because we care about you. What sin have you done to deserve this? Appreciate it, fellas. Appreciate your love and support. Here I am, the one that was worthy of being bragged on, and you trying to tell me I got sin in my life. The devil wasn't happy with killing him. He wanted to destroy him. And everything you know that happens negative, you're like, please listen to this. This is for some of you. This walk with Christ is going to have suffering at times. <clears throat> this walk in Christ is going to have times you're going to wonder how in the world, what and where are you, God? It may be that God considered your life worthy of bragging about and said, hey, devil, turn them loose. Why? Not that he doesn't love you. He wants you to have an opportunity to glorify him because the things you face and go through is to bring him glory and honor. And anybody can praise him on top of the mountain, but it's those in the valley. <laughs> it's those who are suffering and going through the trials and tribulations of life that when they offer their praise, can I tell you, out of the midst of the darkness, uh, in the midst of the darkness, anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? Out of the midst of the darkness, of your life uh, in the doom uh, and the horror of hell that's taken over when you raise up a praise uh, all of heaven rejoices and all of hell shakes and trembles why because that's a praise uh, that's higher and greater because it comes from a deeper place that's what God was seeking in Job he wasn't just trying to punish Job he was saying I'm ready to go to another level of praise hey jump on Job and let's see what happens because he'll praise me he'll not fail me praise God if you don't know the story Job things turned out pretty good for him (laughs) He multiplied everything, gave him more kids, more grandkids he'd ever had, more stuff. He just blessed them. Because why? Because he went through the process. Didn't mean there wasn't times of fear. Didn't mean there was times of doubt. There was. But he kept coming back to faith and belief. Amen. And love and praise. And said, I'll praise him. Lord bless us and Lord take it away. Lord give it, Lord take it away. But blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Why? Because he's the Lord. Capital L. Complete ruler and authority over everything in my life. When we accept that, we can live a better Christian life. Amen. <coughs> How to stay vigilant. Let's look at the word vigilant. Always awake and alert. Sleeplessly watchful. What the word there means. Be vigilant. Look at your neighbor and say vigilant. It's a fun word to say. How do we stay vigilant? How do we stay awake? How do we stay alert? How do we stay attentive as a church? Do you know Jesus is coming, right? The bridegroom says, hey, take care of things. I'll be back. (laughs) So we're in the parable. We're living the parable right now. We're living that moment that the master of the house has gone away for a season, but he says, I'll be back. And in the church world, the greatest enemies we have, I'm afraid, is time. (laughs) 
I'm afraid it's time. How do, how do we stay vigilant? Number one, we stay aware that our adversary, the devil, is real and always on the hunt. You know, it's in the, the celebrating times of our life when things are going good. If we're not careful, we relax, don't we? We think the fight's over. You better hang on because there's another one coming. And I have found that the greatest advancements of maturity in my Christian walk was at the times it followed one of the greatest battles of our walk. Why? Because I had to fight a battle to get me to a place I need to be in God to make me stronger, to prepare me for what he was about to do in my life. And so I received those battles. And I fight knowing that I will win. Praise God. Because with Jesus Christ, we're undefeated. Because he's for us. Amen? If you're wondering, listen, Romans 8, I believe it is, says, if God be for you. Well, I can tell you right now, if God be for you. Who can be against you? I can tell you right now, nobody. <laughs> Amen? Because God be for you. Praise God. Stay aware the devil is real. Now, here's the thing. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There it is. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I love that. He wants to kill it, but he said, I don't want you to have life. I want you to have abundant life. That's not just a material goods. That's in a life of joy and pleasure in what you're doing for God and for others. Amen. Now, if these scriptures mean nothing to us, if the enemy isn't real to us, I mean, you can quote them all you want to. It sounds good. It makes for a good preaching message. Yes, bless God. But it doesn't have any meaning to us if it's not real to us. And in a culture that tries to make all demons and all gods equal, if we're not careful, we can get lost in that mindset, even unaware that we're doing it, and we lose our vigilance because we get soft. I hate the signs that say coexist. I want to just go tear the bumper off the car. Not the particular off the bumper. The bumper off the car. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, no, we ain't here to coexist. We're here to take over. But this culture would tell you that you're a troublemaker and you're a hater and you're a... No, no, no. We Christians, we loving people more than you. To coexist means we will allow you to freely go to hell without us running any interference for you. But if we're not careful, we can fall in that coexistence because that's the culture. The Bible says if you stay too long, you told Lot, you stayed so long in this culture, it has vexed you which means it has taken dominion over your convictions. Mm, you've gotten less vigilant. <laughs> we have to be cautious to remember, no, we have an enemy out there, and that's one of his slick tricks. But we've got to stay focused and vigilant and say, no, we're aware. The master's coming. The enemy's here, and he's always barking at me, and he's always coming. He said, well, when does the fight end? When that horn blows, right after that. <laughs> or your last breath, it's over, right then. But until then, there's going to be a fight for your soul because the enemy, he hates you. He despises you because you are in the image of Almighty God who He is the ultimate jealousy of who has destroyed Him and cast Him from His praise and worship position in heaven uh, to a place uh, that was left for Him to have dominion for a season. But I can tell you, He hates Christ. He hates everything to do with Christ. And the moment you called on the name of Christ, uh, you became a public enemy number one to Him. We're not in fear of that because we belong to Christ. Amen? Here's a question. Are we real spiritual or spiritually real? Because it's easy to get real spiritual, isn't it? Are we real spiritual or spiritually real? Good is the greatest enemy of great. Been a good book written on that. You should read it sometime. But great is the greatest enemy of excellent. And excellent is the greatest enemy of magnificent. Why is that? Because complacency which is the false security while unaware of present danger, created by apathy, which is the absence of passion, 
love and action prevents you from pouring out all that God has poured into you. Did you see that? In other words, if you get complacent on whatever level, if you're at good or great or even excellent or magnificent, when you get complacent because you've lost your passion, you're no longer worth anything for the kingdom of God. Oh, you're worth something to the kingdom of God, but you have no value for the kingdom of God because you're not doing anything. That is the state of a lot of churches and a lot of Christians in our culture today is that they got saved. Let me, let me just go ahead and predict this. I don't know your church, but I'm going to make a prediction. And this is the majority rules. You always have that person go, that's not 100%. Okay, well, give me, give me a minute. It's the majority, I promise you. Let me tell you who the most excited people in this church body is today and who works the hardest, who's the most faithful, who witnessed the most. Let me tell you who they are. The newest people in this church today. Let me tell you who were at one time the people that once were new. <laughs> There's something about the freshness of God that life gets good and then it goes to great <laughs> and we get excited and we're pursuing excellence. But we get... It's like the new car. We used to wash it every day and take it to everybody. And we always want to take our car so you can see how awesome our car was. <laughs> Man, we'd wash the paint off of it. But after a few months, it got once a week, then once a month. And then it's like, hey, can we take your car? <laughs> it lost its newness. It lost its freshness. Well, as a Christian in the kingdom of God, we can't afford to lose the newness and the freshness of God. My word. Because God has given us much. He's blessed us. I have a little illustration I felt led of the Holy Spirit to do. So you stay with me. <clears throat> These bottles here represent you as a vessel. These are smart bottles, smart water, because if you give your life to Christ, you're pretty smart. <laughs> and that's what they had at the store. <laughs> Some of us are new to Christ. Boy, this is an exciting time right here. Because you know what it was to be empty. But now you got a little something in the tank, praise God. You feel that living water that Jesus talked about at the well and said, oh, you, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water right now because the water I'm going to give you is on a whole nother level. <laughs> and you know that's true. Suddenly hope comes into your life. Darkness goes out. Suddenly, you know, hopelessness is the most demonic thing in life. It'll destroy everybody. Because hope, faith is the subject of things hoped for. Hope is waiting with anticipation of reception. So faith is waiting with anticipation of receiving what God promised you. Abraham had to hope against hope, which meant his hope spiritually had to go in opposition to his hope fleshly, which meant he had to wait constantly for what God had promised over what the flesh said should or should not happen. That's a whole other sermon. I'm going to preach that one. My wife's glad. She's heard that one enough. <laughs> She's memorized that one. But this is an exciting time because hope comes in when it does, darkness leaves. We have hope of overcoming our addiction, our demons. We have hope of getting out of the program, getting our family back. Come on, somebody. We got, we got hope of getting our marriage back. We got hope of returning to what God's joy and peace in our life and the fullness of our life. We got hope again. This is an exciting time. We're fired up. But if you're not careful, the enemy put this cap on it. And all that God's poured into you wasn't doing anything. Because see, this right here is, is a symbolic uh, gesture of hell. There's fire there. It's not even close. It's not even a tittle. But you understand what I'm saying. you got to use your imagination. It's okay. Just go there. It's okay. This is hell. The problem with hell is that it is real. I mean, you believe this is real. I mean, that's real, isn't it? If you don't believe that, come up here and stick your hand in it and hold it there for about three minutes. I mean, we believe that's real. 
I guarantee you, here's how it really is. If I was to take one of your beautiful children right now and come up here and take their little hand and put over it, I bet we'd feel a little stern in the place. Now, those who love God, they'll rise to the edge of their seat because they're alarmed. What's that preacher doing? He lost his mind. I don't know who friend he is, but he ain't no friend of mine. You'll start moving. Let me tell you the ones that are the most effective. It's not the ones that are just moved with love. It's the ones who's moved to action with love. And they'll come up here and get this preacher and that baby, and we'll, we'll do business of him. Because you're not putting that baby's hand over that fire because it will burn them. Well, how real is hell to us? The Bible says there's people being drugged to hell by the enemy of our soul each and every day. We see it. How many, how many funerals have you attended? How many sudden deaths where you knew that person didn't make it unless things got caught out in the last second? That person ain't there, and the enemy's one another one. But yet we're with them every day. We work around them. We play around them. We have them in our family. Some of them sleep in the bed next to us. We know hell is there. We know he's real. We know that any moment they can be snatched into eternity. We know that. But if we allow complacency due to apathy, the absence of love that's moved to action, that's what passion means, love moved to action, then they just keep falling. That's the cap. Here's the thing I need you to understand. This is a new Christian. The cap. Maybe you're a little longer Christian. You've been here a little while longer. And you've been beyond. God's put more and more in you. He's expanded your, your size. He's expanded your effect in the kingdom. He's expanded your, your harvest, your ground. And He's put you in places where you can do more for God. I mean, things have went from good to great. I mean, things are good. But here's the sad part. The same cap that was over you as a little vessel is the same cap that will cap you off at this vessel. Let's say you're a veteran. You've been saved for 50,000 years. I mean, you're full of God. I mean, way up there. I mean, you, look, look at this. This is you. This is how you see yourself in your mind anyway. This is you compared to we never. That new Christian. Oh, bless their heart. Look at their sweet little Christian. Look at they so excited. Woo, they on fire. Look at them. And even sadly in your mind, you go, oh, that'll, that'll wear off eventually. Okay, well, that, that's demonic from hell right there. What we need to be praying is that they'll continue to grow with no cap of complacency and apathy will be placed upon them. And then we continue to pray that we become more. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Because this is a church at, a church at 55. This is what it looks like. It's exciting. There's a new energy, a new freshness. God touching, saving people. Then that church grows to, to 105. Praise God. Woo! The house is getting bigger, and there's more Jesus than we've ever had before. But if you're not, if you're capped with complacency and apathy, you're of no value. You are more useful as 55. Then your church gets to 200, 500. Whoa, boy, we're reaching folks now, are you? Because if you put the cap on right here, you don't go to the church of a thousand. Well, now, preacher, you don't know how big clear is. I don't give a rip how big clear is. How big is your life? You know, I'm not talking about people that set foot in this church. I'm talking about you as a church that touch people outside these walls. Is that not the church? That's what your pastor defines it. I know it. I know. The same cap that capped those two, if I don't drop it can cap this one. And everything God poured into you, it's useless. So don't allow, how do we stay vigilant? How do we stay alert? It doesn't matter how much this church grows. It doesn't matter how much you grow as a member of the church and the church of Christ. <clears throat> if you put a cap on it, because listen, all you need is that right there. Look at that. Hell's gone in somebody's life. Boom, they've been done. That's all we need was just a little bit of that. But if you think that that's required, how about this right here? 
How much more does God expect for you? Because who much has been given, much is required. Come on. Who much has been entrusted with all that water is much of Jesus and the Word of God and the knowledge of God and the experience of God and the battles won with God. And listen, it is demanded by God as your Lord to say, Hey, how many hells are you putting out in people's lives? How many people are you reaching? How many people are you... Pastor, I'm just being a pastor. And you, know, you told me you trust me and you let me do it. Hopefully you won't regret that when it's over. <laughs> Mm. We must allow our knowledge of the reality of hell, creed, and urgency within us that moves us to action. Hell must remain real to us if we are going to stay vigilant for the kingdom. It's not real that we live in fear. No, no, we, we have the mindset of Paul. Listen to us, Jude 1, 23. It says, save others. I become all things, all people. I, I got to do whatever I got to do. Saving others, snatching them of the fire, out of the fire that others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What passion. You don't hate the person. You hate the garment that the enemy has put on that person. Hmm. You see, everybody's a victim and there's less pride and less selfishness in how you confront those people. I was at a small church in Geneva, Alabama. That's where you met my wife's face that day. And there was this board member who drove me nuts. I had a four, three board members. Two of them couldn't read. So anything I wanted to pass legitimately, I just wrote it down. So... <coughs> You'll get it. It's okay. Guys, we're going to vote on this here tonight. Pass it around. Discovering their hymnals started being turned upside down. It's like, okay, either he's really gifted or something's missing. Great, great men of God. One of them, though, was a thorn in my flesh. Every time we would do something God said do, you'd be like, well, I don't know. I went home one night of board meeting. I was mad. Now, listen, I've never had a no vote in a meeting of 27 years, ever. And, um, but they made it hard. <laughs> and I went home and I was so mad, I, I, I just spilled all over my wife. That guy, that guy he's, just, he's just hard-headed. He's just old hard-headed. I was a young preacher. Went to bed that night, I had this dream. Most, the, one of the worst dreams I've ever had, Pastor. In that dream, that board member has his hands behind his back and somebody's just beating him mercilessly. I'm talking about blood, it's just his eyes are swollen shut. Look like a UFC fight going bad. I mean, it was bad. And I was like, my heart of compassion goes, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. And I'm crying out in my sleep, literally crying out. And all of a sudden, the picture widens. And when I get there, it, the person holding his arms behind his back is the devil. He's got him behind his back, and he's speaking into his ear. And every time he speak to his ear, it would go in his ear and out his mouth, that board member's mouth. And I was like, God, I rebuke the devil. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm crying now, and I'm just crying out, God, please, help him, Lord, help him. And the picture goes back, and I'm the one doing the beating. Still messes with me this day. Some 25 plus years later. I woke up and rolled out of my bed, and I said, oh, God, no. And God said, until you can see everyone is who and what they are, victims of unrighteousness and victims of the devil, you'll never be the man of God I called you to be. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities. And we start living our life to the place that we start seeing those around us, even those who are being vessels against us, 
That don't mean we just buddy up and let them bite our heads off, but it means even in that separation, it's not in hatred. The Bible, matter of fact, Paul said it this way. He said, there are those that's going to hear me preach and they're going to turn and go from the gospel. He said, but here's what we do. We continue to love them. We continue to pray for them and pray that God will open their eyes and that they will return to us. And when they do, we will celebrate and rejoice their return. We have got to, if we're going to stay vigilant the enemy must stay real and we must see people as victims of the enemy and not the enemy themselves. Are we hearing that today? Number two, how do we stay vigilant? Stay aware of your commitment to the preparation of his return. He can never stop preparing. He can never stop growing. Now let's talk about that preparation of his return. Now listen to me. We do not measure what you, we are doing. Let me say it this way. We, you do not measure what you are doing what you are sacrificing, nor the passion of your intercession by what the church body is doing. You can get lost in that covering. Boy, our church is reaching people. People are being saved. Lives are being changed. And I'd say, but what are you doing? Because the enemy will bring you a comfort to think, oh, well, since I'm connected to them, we're just changing the world at Christian Life Church. Are you? Or are they changing the world and you're just enjoying the fruits of that? Because when we stand before God, we're not going to stand as the body of Christian life, fellowship. We're going to stand and He's going to look, okay, what have you done for me? Well done, thy good and faithful servant, not thy good and faithful church member. So we cannot measure our activity, our passion, by what we feel when we go into the church house. Oh, it's a, be excited. We want you to be. There's an energy and a, a strength and a joy that comes there, and you feed off of that. But don't let that measure your spirituality and think that you're doing something for God. Isn't this such a wonderful, encouraging word for you on this Sunday? Praise God. It's like, okay, Pastor, let's check him off. We've had him now. We're done. We can move on down the road to the next one. <laughs> but you measure yourself by what God asked you as an individual to do and your commitment to do it before the return of Jesus. That's how we measure ourselves. What am I doing? Because don't you understand the church is a culmination of individuals maximizing their effect on the kingdom? You, don't you understand that if we all serve God the way we're supposed to serve God, it won't take years or months. It could take days that this place be packed out. You're going to two services, packing it out both services, and it just keeps doing it. Why? Because when the church becomes the church, I've never met a pastor yet, including myself, that's ever built a church. People ask us, you know, we've had some tests, whatever you measure that by over the years. And people say, well, how did you build an aspect? How did you build that church? I said, I've never built a church. People built a church. All I did was invest in pouring the people. And they went and did what God called them to do. And as a result, they brought people back with them. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Next thing I know, boom, there's this big church sitting there. It don't matter how good the worship is. It doesn't matter how good the preaching is. It doesn't matter how good the nurseries are. All those things need to be perfect. We need to be on our game every week. That we're excellence for this excellency. But if we're not doing our part as a body, as an individual, then it's not going to produce growth and ministry sent out of here. Amen. And so I'm just saying to us, we don't measure by what our church house is doing, we measure by what we're doing for the church house. Glory to God, that's good stuff. And number three, how do we stay vigilant? Stay aware of your level of anticipation of His return. Whew. Titus 2 and 11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present, in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Woo! Are you kidding me? Zealous for good works. We don't hear enough end-time preaching. I know y'all get it here. You've heard the message, so I know. But it's so much easier to lose track that Jesus is coming. Could be today. And we, we started calling that a fear tactic. Well, they're just trying to scare us into heaven. Yeah, that'll work for about a week. <laughs> right? But as Christians, we're supposed to be joyful and excited. No, there is a deadline. There is a finish line. There is a horn that's going to blow. We in a hurry. Because, yeah, when Jesus comes, heaven's coming with him. But when Jesus comes, hell's coming with him too. And so we got to look at the people and realize the clock is ticking, tick-tock, tick-tock. And we can use all the fear tactics we want to. That's not going to change life. I'm just looking for Christians and obedience to God. Here's the scariest question in the whole Bible to me, Pastor. This is my personal fear that I have for the church. Jesus asked this question, Will I find faith when I return? Will I find faith, the substance of things hoped for, waiting with anticipation of reception of the promise? Will I find people waiting with anticipation of my return when I return? That's what he's asking. You realize he's not asking that to the lost. He's asking that to his church. He's saying, are you going to be looking for me? Are you standing at the window looking out? Are you faithful about my business? You're not out there partying and celebrating and abusing fellow servants. Are you out there doing what I've called you to do? Or are you doing what I've called you to do for my kingdom? Time and success can be two of the enemy's greatest weapons in our life. Though the church has reached many for Jesus, there is a multitude yet to be reached. Do not measure the success of this church by how many is in the chairs, but by how many chairs are empty. And when you get them all full, go to two services and start measuring again. Until everybody you know knows Jesus. Because Jesus bled for all of us. He's not, matter of fact, the only delay in his return, did you hear? The only reason he doesn't return is I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to live everlasting life. But one day that waiting will come to an end because his word is his word. So the only reason he's delayed it is he's given us more time to reach more people because he's looking down and going, I don't want any of my, my son's blood was shed for all of them. Praise God for that. So we as a church must do what God's called us to do. The only way that we can maximize the reach of the church is to maximize our reach as individuals. Mm, I want to read that again. That's that good. And there was nobody amen me. And I know. I've heard you on the video say amen to your pastor. So I know you can. I'm, I'm going to say it till you say it. We can be here all day. I don't care. I'm on a diet. Don't mean nothing to me. <laughs> the only way that we can maximize the reach of the church is to maximize our reach as individuals. See, I knew I could count on you there. I touched you in your stomach right there. I know. Hold on, that roast is in the oven, darling, that crock pot. We must live our lives to reap the harvest. We must. Can't look at the pastor and the staff. No, no, no. You. God demanded. If you've been, you all said God given you much. You've already confessed. Either you lied or you're accountable to God to be a good steward over what He's given you. And there's much required and demanded of us. God requires it of us. God demands it of us. It's our glorious privilege to serve Him. And I'm closing. How do we get back to that passion, that love? 
Well, I love the scripture in Revelations 2. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. And he brags on them. He said, listen, he said, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. He said, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Man, he's bragging on the church. You got most bragging of any of the churches he talked to. You guys are making it happen. Then he goes, but I have something against you. Well, I don't know about you, but when God says I got something against you, you want to know what that is. Amen. Conviction is our friend. He says, you've lost your first love. Well, what does that mean? God doesn't want us just doing it. That's the problem with the church, is we're just trying to do it. We get our list of do's and don'ts, and we hear every week about what's sin and what ain't sin, and there's 124 sins listed in the Bible. 124, and then there's several places where it says, and things such as these. <laughs> Covers a lot of stuff. Amen. I gave a list of our people, 124. I said, when y'all get all these finished, call me. We'll go on to the next list. That's all I'm going to But in the Bible, there's listed 124 sins and things such as these. God doesn't want to just keep in the rules. You'll never be able to do it. I'm telling you, you'll never be able You will never. First time you get behind somebody going slow in that left lane, you're losing it. It's done. <laughs> just telling you. Okay, I'm talking about myself. I apologize. <laughs> God, doesn't, God doesn't want us just obeying rules. That's, it was never based on rules and him being Lord. We will be Lord of his life if we love him with all of our life. He said, I want, this is all about love. This is all started. The reason you're created is for relationship. It's the reason you exist today. In the Garden of Eden, the only reason he created Adam and Eve was to have relationship. That's it. The rules didn't come then. The rules came when we messed up and didn't obey the first one. <laughs> That's where it got derailed. Thank you, ladies. I'm playing. It's the man's fault. He shouldn't have been so easily impressed. <laughs> but it was about relationship. Listen, if you want to be an effective Christian, focus more on the love than the discipline. Because God says, I want everything you do to be done out of love, that first love, that, that first love. That's what I want you to be doing. Don't you remember that first love? Every little sin you committed, no matter how little it was, you felt this conviction come over you. The devil tried to turn it to guilt and destroy you with it, but God said, no, 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 I'm, not tell I'm telling you that that needs to be fixed. Fix it, let's keep going. Because <laughs> I love you. Because I chastise those whom I love. God wants everything you and I do to be out of overflow of our love for him and our relationship. Too many people are working on the obedience and aren't working on the love when love produces obedience. Do you know that in your Bible, Pastor, you correct me next Sunday if I'm wrong. Just don't do it in front of me, please. Just send me a text. The only place in this entire Bible, and I got a big one because I got bad eyes. The only place in this whole Bible that tells how to prove your love for God, there's only one way to prove it. There's only one. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and they will not be a burden to you. I can't go do that. I'm a Christian. Well, boy, you really won them over, didn't you? I mean, I'd love to go with you this weekend late, but, you know, we got church. <laughs> uh, Y'all should come with us. No, it's too late. You've spoiled that. It's a burden to you, and it's a burden they don't want to bear with you. <laughs> But when you fall in love with him, ain't nobody had to beg you to read your Bible. That's what's wrong with the church today. It's too many preachers having to preach, read, and do the things you should be doing out of love. My wife don't have to come to me every day with a list of things. Hey, you're slacking in these areas. I'm going to need you to step it up. No, because I love her. I'm constantly looking at those areas and looking for those areas and being a better husband and loving her more because I love her. 
Not because I'm her husband and I have a set of rules. That wouldn't last a week. And I think that's why a lot of marriages don't last very long, is they get to try and obey the rules without the love, and they quit focusing on the love, start focusing on the rules, next thing you know, they're separated apart. And you know what? That carries over to the next relationship and the next, because you don't know how to love. Peter, and I close with this. I am closing. I promise you I am. Remember Peter? Peter denied Christ. It hurt Christ. He was coming, warned him. said, Peter, Peter, you better go see. You, the devil's been to sift you, boy. It's been to get bad. Man, Peter's air fishing, went back to what he knew. Sees Jesus. Peter can't even wait for the boat to get there. He jumps out the boat, starts swimming to shore because it's his Savior. First time he's got to see him to say, I'm sorry. So he's standing there and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, what a word. What a question. Oh, Jesus, I've been waiting to tell you this ever since the cross. Yes, I love you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know everything. You, you know I love you, Lord. You, 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 it's me, Peter. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Now he's hoping that he knows. Please, God, you know. You know I love you. God, you know everything. I know you know that. Feed my sheep. Wait a minute. Feed my lamb. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What? Notice, he didn't go, oh, well, Peter, I forgive you, buddy. Come here. I love you so much. You're so wonderful, Peter. I love you. You're so good. I forgive you, buddy. You don't see any of that. You know, you don't. He says, do something. Obey me. Feed my lamb. Feed them when they're baby sheep. Feed them when they're grown sheep and keep feeding them no matter how long they last. Because no matter if they're sheep and been sheep, they still need love. And they still need feeding. Now I say that to say this. He says, to get back to your first love, you got to remember from where you came from. Come on, y'all. How many of you have been remembering that? You look back and even in your mind, I saw some of the tears going, oh, I do remember how zealous I was. Man, I remember reading my Bible. I remember witnessing to everybody. The dogs got witness to it at the house. I mean, it was, everybody was getting saved at my house. Baptized the cat, like to kill both of us. <laughs> remember and then repent. See, this is the part the devil gets you. Oh, I got to feel horrible and know the gloom of doom. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got complacent. I'm sorry I lost my passion. I became apathetic. I'm sorry I put the cap on me. I'm sorry. And then return. Get back in the game. You don't have to go back to here. You're still the same vessel. I'm still thirsty. You can stay where you're at. Just take the cap off. And start pouring everything God poured into you into others. And start putting the hell that's in people's life out. Say, no more in your life. No more in your life. No more in your life. Start being the church. Let everything your love for Him be an overflow of obedience. When you do, people won't see a have-to Christian. They'll see a get-to Christian. And a get-to Christian will get a lot more people in the kingdom. Them got-tos just don't have much impact. So, well, Lord, if that's what serving Jesus is, I just don't want it. <laughs> that's right. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. This isn't a time to be gloomed and doomed. Conviction, not guilt. Conviction's your friend. Conviction says, Father, 
You love me so much you showed me my wrong so I could turn it to a right. Listen, when I disciplined my children, we were a, we didn't spread a rod at my house either. When I disciplined my children, it wasn't so they'd beat themselves up and live in the gloom and doom. It was so they'd make things right and keep going. I want them to be my happy kids. I want them to be joyful and pleasurable. Oh, did I want them to feel conviction? Yes, don't do that no more. Daddy, I'm so sorry. Wonderful. Now let's get over it and go forward. So this morning, I'm asking us today to simply return, remember, repent, and return. That no matter how long you've been saved, if the enemy has placed that cap of complacency and apathy on you, take that cap off today. And let's say, Lord, I'm going to, sir, I'm going to pour out everything you poured in me. I'm pouring out into others. Amen? Father God, we love you so much today, and I have obeyed you to the best of my ability, God. Father, I thank you for this word, because in my life, even as you birthed it in me, I found places that maybe people that I had gotten complacent. God, I've lost my passion for God, but you've reignited that to say, ah, every soul is a soul worth winning. Every life is a life worth reaching. Everyone. And God, I thank you for what you've poured into my life, and I want to pour it into others, God. I know that you expect it, and I know that, God, that you require it of me. And God, I just want to be honorable to you, not because I have to, but because I love you. And I want everything I do to be an overflow of my relationship with you, God. And my growth in your love, and my growth in your experience, God. I want to love you more and give you more and be obedient more with my life, God. That I might see your church grow. <laughs> I might see it continue to blossom in everything you've given me. Because you've given me much. I want to give it to others, God. I want to see them experience the joy and the pleasure that I've experienced the victory and the hope and the peace that I have. And I want to be as patient with them as people were with me. And I want to love them through their mess, no matter how long it takes. Because God, until the horn blows, we haven't run out of time. Come quickly, Lord. But help us to be ready, Lord, for your return. That we might open the door at once. <laughs> the moment you knock, I pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.